Hey, well, good morning to you. Great to see you. Wow, you made it. Now, this is the reason today why you live in Kelowna and not in Winnipeg. Um, because it reminds us why you moved here, right? Uh, minus, uh, was it minus 50 in Steinbach last week? Oh, that is just evil. It's kind of a, it's kind of like a reverse hell, isn't it? It's, uh, I don't know, it's just like oh, minus 50. What do you do? And I spoke to a pastor there and he said, well, it's minus 50, but we've got a warm church um, and, and, and a big church. So I guess that's why they all go to church. Um, so it's fantastic. If you're joining us online, we want to give you a very warm welcome. Thank you. Come and check us out in person. Uh, Six congregations, four locations. We're just uh, really blessed that you're here with us this morning. And we're changing gear, actually, a little bit. Uh, starting a series in February called Breathe, How to Live Within the Limits. I don't know about you, but do you ever feel like your life is just getting a little bit too busy? A bit too stressed out? A bit that you better live in the present rather than thinking about everything else? I've experienced that. Uh, you may have read my devotional uh, for 21 days. And in my devotional on the last day, I was just checking who was actually reading it. I told a little story about I decided while I was back in England, I left the hotel where I was speaking. And it was a three-mile walk to get to my um, mother-in-laws along the British canals. And I thought, oh, I'll have a nice walk to my mother-in-laws. So I, I zipped up my coat, the coat I was wearing this morning, to greet you at the door. Yes. Thank you. All to Jesus. And I'm on, I'm on time and a double, double time. Um, and, and I was walking along and I was thought, oh, I'm going to phone Pastor Glenn. Because his, his wife broke her arm and I thought, phone. So I'm, I'm walking alongside of the British Canal. It's like this. And, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm looking for the phone number. And then I realize that something is happening in slow motion. I've inadvertently stepped towards the canal and now I'm flying through the air. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing? I'm holding my phone in the air as I hit the water and my whole body goes underneath the water, except for my hand. <laughs> and I realize as my body experiences the cold water, it was, it was a cold English evening, the mist was across the canal, suddenly I was freezing, I could feel the water reach every part of my body, if you get the idea. Uh, ski jackets are not waterproof. And, and I stand up in the water and it's, it's about five foot deep. So it comes up to about here. I'm thinking, just fallen in the canal. <laughs> what is wrong with me? And then I hear my phone's ringing. As I'm holding the phone. For some reason, as I pulled myself out of the canal, and that was hard onto the side, and lifted myself up, the phone was still ringing. Rrr, 
I thought, oh, I phoned Glenn. No, I'm going to have to pretend like no. But as I looked at it, it hadn't. Jesus had done a miracle. I wasn't phoning Glenn. <clears throat> I was phoning Michelle. Ah. Oh. <clears throat> She's on the treadmill and she says, hello. She said, what are you doing? I said, I've just fallen in the canal. Just, I'm sorry. I've just fallen in the canal. I am freezing. I've just been walking along the canal. I was about to call Pastor Glenn and I fell in the canal. Well, she obviously laughed her head off. Um, <laughs> of which my relatives did, and of which I then got out the canal and I walked back to the four-star hotel where I was staying for a night, where all the delegates were stood in the hallway that I'd been speaking to as the guest speaker looked through the glass thinking, I am not walking through that crowd. Sneak round the back, in through the back door of the stairwell to my... Um, as it said, I never got to go, I never got to walk to my mother-in-law's that night. I, uh, I got a taxi down there and, uh, and she was very good to me. She did all the washing and the drying and, uh, and I then put some more in and it, she's very good that way. You've got to love your mother-in-laws, haven't you? But it did put me in a shock. First of all, when I was under the water, I was thinking, if I die right now, Michelle's going to be wondering a little bit about what... What I was doing at the canal. Uh, but thankfully I stood up. But I don't know about you, but you're doing stuff in our life. We've lacked the ability because we're not building margins. We're not often living in the present. And, and metaphorically, uh, you know, you may find that your life, that you are falling into canals in life. You may find that your, your focus is in the wrong place. You may find that you're thinking you're going one way, but actually you're going another way. What the Lord Jesus wants to do as we start to do this uh, work through this series called Breathe is I believe what God wants to do is to ensure that in, in today's society that we have those margins and those margins are there and those margins are real within our lives. Modern society and progress was to make our lives feel better, feel more peaceful, to meet our needs, and we were progressing in the world. But the truth is, the more we progress, it seems the more stressed out, the more battles we have, the more problems we seem to face, and yet this is not God's design for our lives. So, how do you begin to breathe? How do you begin to breathe in the right way? Well, I want to remind you some lovely uh, verses from the book of Ephesians. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. 
as a prisoner for him, the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Let's linger there. What we notice from those opening verses and then jumping back for a moment, or jumping forward to verse, chapter 4 and verse 1, we notice that we have been redeemed, that we have been loved, that we've been forgiven, that as a people, Paul writing to the book uh, there in Ephesus, he is writing uh, and uh, reminding that actually the foundation of which we should build our identity on, the foundation of which we should build our life on, the foundation is upon who we are in Christ Jesus. And I think the reason very often is that we do not breathe is because our identity is rooted in things that we should not be rooted in. And we fail often as Christians to root our identity fully in who we are as Christ. So if you go downtown at the moment and you see the many buildings that are being thrown up and and built in the center of Kelowna, The one thing that you notice, it seems like they seem to spend a lot of time working on the foundations. And once they've got the foundations done, then the condos uh, suddenly seem to uh, grow at a rapid rate. You look at this and it's a principle that when you get the foundation right, then you can build on top of that with success. And very often what happens in our Christian life is that our foundations are cracked and we're not building in the way that God designs us to build and our foundations are weak and we have problems with our identity of who we are in Christ. But when we get our identity right and we know who we are in Christ Jesus, boy, that changes everything. In the book of Ephesians, it mentions this phrase 30 times. What is that phrase? The phrase is this, in him, in Christ, in him, in Christ, in him. It reminds us again and again that we are to live our life fully and completely in Christ Jesus. I live as an adopted child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in Christ Jesus. But there's this problem with our identity in modern culture. And you look at this lovely verse in Ephesians 4. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now this little phrase here, worthy of the calling. And I think as we learn to understand where our true identity lies, we live a life worthy of the calling. That our identity should not be in lies or negative things, but our identity should be in Christ Jesus. Let me remind you some truth about identity of who we are in Christ Jesus and that we may live a life worthy. That should be our goal. That should be our drive. That should be something that drives us deep within who we are, that we want to live With that deep sense of identity, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are a blessed people. 
I am blessed. I am saved. And God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with spiritual blessing. We are a redeemed people. We are a loved people. We're a people that are cared for. And he looks at us and he loves us. Not only are we a blessed people, but let me remind you that we are an adopted sons and daughters who are adopted into the kingdom of God. In the Roman world, adoption was exactly the same as becoming a biological child of that person, as indeed it is in our culture. And when you're adopted, you get the same rights. You get the same uh, inheritance. You get the same status. You get the same authority. You and I are sons and daughters of the living God, and we have been uh, adopted into his glorious kingdom. That helps me understand my identity. That when life is tough, I know that God has given me every spiritual blessing. I know that it helps me understand that he has adopted me and given me status and standing. And he loves me. He's, I am his child. Who of us do not love our children and do not want to give good gifts to them? And support them and look at them and love them. My little boy, he's 12. And tomorrow is his first ever competitive game of basketball. Oh, yes. It's starting at 6.30 and I will be there. And I will look there and he will be awesome. In fact, as I look at him, he will be the greatest player on that that in that gym, he will be awesome. Now, I am biased, of course, because he's, he'll come out and his shorts don't fit him very well. And he's all got this, he's so little, he's, got his, he's been given the small version, which is like large. And he's worried about his pants falling down. I don't blame him. I don't care. He's my son. And then when I get there, I'll be there with the cameras, with the drones. I'll be taking photographs. I'll be following him around from each to the other. Boy, he's on. He's gonna be, and he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna be fantastic. I know I'm over the top, just a little bit. But you know, I just say that to try and explain to you the way that the Father looks at you and your identity should be rooted in the love of God. That you've been adopted. Let me remind you what Romans says. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. You and I are co-heirs. There's our old self, and we have been transformed. We've been sanctified. We've been changed into a new self. There's a problem here. Like a good preaching. Thanks, Phil. But there's a problem that it seems like there are times when we are not living in our true identity of who we are in Christ Jesus. And why is that? Now, let me explain two things theologically to you and practically. 
If we are to be transformed by the power of Christ and we are to know his new life living in us and our characters being changed, there are two ways in Scripture that this takes place in the New Testament. Number one, it is through the renewing of the mind. And number two, it is through dwelling in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two areas that will radically change your spiritual life. When your mind is renewed and when you spend time in the glory and the presence of God in your life. And that's what I really want to illustrate to you. You see, we have a choice to whether we are going to believe the lies of the enemy about you and the lies that we tell ourselves and the lies that tell us in culture or we're going to believe the truth of God that liberates us. Every one of us has that choice. That for our faith to really move, for it to work in our lives, we've got to choose which we're going to believe. Are we going to believe the lies that have often defined our identity that tell us that we are weak, that tell us that we are no good, that shame us, that put us under guilt? Or are we going to believe the truth of what the Bible says about those that believe in Christ Jesus? See, we live in a society of lies. We tell our children that they've evolved. Darwinism tells us that we're here by some cosmic mistake. As one school teacher walked into his classroom, his science room every day, he would turn to all of the pupils and say, Good morning, my cosmic accidents. Well, if you tell a generation that they are a cosmic accident, then what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose? What is the action? Listen, humanity is not a cosmic accident. Humanity is a gift of God because each one of us are made in the image of God and God has breathed into our lives and we are fearfully and wonderfully and gloriously made. You have meaning, you have purpose, you have destiny, you have calling on your life and Christ Jesus has saved your soul. Nobody can rob that from you. You are sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. But we have to say, listen, our identity can often be formed by the father of lies that tells us lies about ourselves. And we frame our foundation and our identity on lies. Wherefore, we should frame our identity on the truth of the word of God and what Christ achieved on the cross. See, there are four words in the New Testament for transformation. Literally meaning uh, a sense of being, being changed and transformed and understanding that, 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 that powerful work of God, the work of transformation. Now, Where are these words mentioned? I'll give you two, first of all, two easy ones. The transfiguration. When Jesus was on the mount, he experienced that moment of transfiguration. The glory of the Lord came from him, shone out of him, and it was the most glorious moment. And that is where the word is used. He was transformed. The transfiguration. 
The same word used twice in the Gospels to describe the transfiguration is used twice in the writings of Paul to describe the believer's life and how the believer is transformed by the power of Christ. Let me give you the first example. comes from a text in 2 Corinthians 3, and we will finish at verse 18. But the earlier verse from 10 to 8 talks about the time when the presence of the Lord came. Moses was on the mountain. You remember the story. He was so close to God, and the glory of the Lord shone. And, and Moses came down from the mountain, and his face was glorious, and it shone because he reflected the glory of the Lord. But what Paul said is that we do not reflect like Moses, but we have the glory of the Lord within us and the presence of God dwells in each one of us. And we use this word transformation. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Notice the word transformed. That we are being changed. And how are we changed? We are simply changed by the time that we spend in the presence of God. Moses was on the mountain. You and I need to learn to be on the mountain. And the more time that we spend in the presence of God, the more that the transformation happens. The more time we dwell and meditate and spend time in God's presence and worship and honor him in our life. As we do that, a transformation process takes place and we experience experience that. Quite simply, 90 minutes on a Sunday morning does not do it. But the Christian belief is this, that as you spend meaningful, intimate time with Jesus, his glory is present and you and I will be transformed by his presence. And also, it then transforms our identity, transforms us from who we sort of are in our sinful state and transforms us into who God desires us to be. The second word is, of course, a familiar scripture. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good pleasing and perfect will. So it actually teaches that if we want to be transformed in our spiritual life and in our character and become the people that God has designed us to be, then what we have to be willing to do is spend time in the presence of Jesus and also be willing to grab hold of those lies, those thoughts, the way that we think, those patterns that are in our mind and replace them with the truth of God in our lives. And that's hard work. That's tough. 
Because we've got to make a mental effort, and I've got to make a mental effort every day to grab hold of Scripture, to meditate on it, to allow it to renew my mind. That when lies are present in my life, I am willing to stand and to fight back and say, those are lies about who I am. And I am willing to replace those lies with the truth of God in my life. It takes, takes work, friend. See, we all know this scripture. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you. Not bad. Let me try it again. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you. Awesome. The problem is, is that many of us know the truth, but we are not free. Have you noticed that? I'm a bit confused by this verse. Because... I know lots of Christians that know a lot, but I know lots of Christians that are not free. I'm confused. I'm only confused when I just take the verse, but I don't look at the verse before it. How do you find freedom and how do you know the truth and the truth will set you free? The real power of this is the verse before. To the Jew... Who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is the key in this verse? The key in this verse is if you hold to my teachings. To hold to the teaching is very different from knowing the truth. Because when you know something, it doesn't mean that it changes you. But when you grab onto it, when you hold onto it, when you embody it, when you say, I'm not going to let go of it. I'm going to keep hold of it. And I'm going to believe what the Bible says about me. And I hold onto the truth. I know the truth. And the truth sets me free. What we can often be very poor at. Is holding on to truth. We're very good at knowing truth, but we pour out holding truth. And so our identity and our character never changes. It's a Super Bowl this weekend. Yes, that's very exciting for all of us. What is the Super Bowl? That is a good question theologically. But one thing I do know about the Super Bowl, and I know that the Saints are playing the Rams. I know that because I asked Steve Johnson about half an hour ago. Um, But what I do know about American football and its endless, endless game that goes on for eternity is that, that, that when the player, I'm in trouble now. Gets the ball, he holds on to it, and he has to run to the end zone. You may mock me, but let's talk about cricket. Um, And he runs to the end zone. Everything he has to do, he has to hold on to that ball. He has to keep moving. It doesn't matter what gets in his way. He hits them and they fly off. People grab him and they, he kicks them off. He, he does backward loops over people and, and that's as if it's a Disney film. And 
and he lands in the end zone and puts it down. And we go, way touchdown. The only reason I mention that is to be a bit relevant. But, but, but the whole, Steve even said to me, he gave me a little seminar earlier. He said, you know, even if you get knocked out and you're on the floor, keep holding the ball. Because the key is to hold the ball. The key is even if you get knocked out, even if people are pushing you, even if you're hitting obstacles, hold on to the truth and the truth will set you free. And we're not being renewed. Our identity aren't be, isn't being changed because we're not holding on to truth in the way that God is calling us to hold on to truth. We're not pushing in. If you hold on to my teachings. You see, biblically, there is your old self and there is your new self. And your old self tells you that you're guilty. Your old self tells you you should be ashamed. Your old self tells you you're not very good. Your old self tells you that you're weak. But your new self is redeemed by the love of God. What did Adam and Eve instantly do when they, when they sinned in the garden? They reached for the fig tree leaf. Cover themselves because sin creates shame. But you are not to live under guilt. You are not to live under shame. You are free of the lies of the enemy. And we need to identify the lies that hold us back. And when we identify those lies, we can step into our new and true identity. And that identity is found in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do I know if I'm living under lies? Three areas I'm aware that I've noticed. First of all, when I'm living a lie, I notice that I become very defensive in the way I respond to people, to my family, to people around me. And I become defensive. Being defensive and sort of reactional is a manifestation that you are not living in your true identity, but you are living under a lie because it makes you defensive towards people. More touchy, more defensive. Well, what do you think about this? Well, that hurts me. Oh, why did that person say that? Well, I'm going to push back here. I become defensive when I'm living under a lie. The second thing I notice that when I'm living under a wrong identity rather than Christ's identity is that I become petty about things. I become picky. I become petty. I become irritated. You know, I'm married. I've been married for a long time. But I can get a little bit petty. And when I'm becoming petty, I mean, Michelle heard this sermon last night, so um, I'm not saying, you know, she'll, she'll roll her eyes at me. But I'm getting all a little bit of, you know, men, there can be a problem. And all petty, but we can be so petty in so many areas, pointing this out, pointing that out, feeling frustrated, becoming picky, and often we know when we're operating under lies, when we become defensive and we become petty. You can, it's obvious that people are functioning under lies when, when they're looking with a kind of compulsive behavior. The obvious 
you know, is of course alcohol and drugs and pornography and compulsion. But there's other compulsions. Things that we feel we have to do. Things that affect our lives. Things that are there. When you look at your life, often I found it helpful to look at my life and I look at, at lies that have been sown into my life that have robbed me of my Christ identity. Sometimes they come from our parents. The things that parents or key people have sown into our lives and said, you're like this or you're like that or like that. Or family slogans. You may not know them as slogans, but they're family slogans. You know, my grandmother used to say, oh, I'd love to start the day with a good argument. That was her family slogan. She was horrible. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. Bless her. Ah, oh, Nanny Knight, her name was. Ah, oh. and she would, she would start, she would terrorize her children <clears throat> with a good yell and scream and argument and I mean, my, my granddad worked in a butcher's and he had to go to work at 4 a.m. in the morning. There was a reason for that. And that was the family slogan. Start the day with an argument. There was other family slogans. Don't marry for love. She would say, marry for money. I'm married for love. And look where I'm married to a butcher. Uh, she would, many family lies, lies, lies. There may be traumatic events. Maybe a breakup. Maybe a business failure. Maybe a, some event in your life that has been traumatic that sowed a lie that has robbed you of the identity of Christ within your life. Maybe it's just simply the self-talk that you talk to yourself. Boy, you can do yourself a lot of damage by the things you tell yourself. And that is not the renewing of the mind. It's building on the wrong foundation. And these things manifest themselves in all kinds of ways. They manifest themselves by us being driven by performance. That we feel in life we have to do it perfectly. That we have to perform correctly. And everything's about looking good. Performance. Doing good. And it's about that performance. Or maybe it's being driven by the lie of perfectionism. We have to get everything perfect. And perfectionism, you've got to live by that standard and you drive everybody else mad because of that standard. Or maybe it's control, that you have to live your life and control everything all the time. And what can destroy marriages, what can destroy lives is the lie of performance, is the lie of perfectionism, is the lie of control when really we are called to be a people that are filled with the identity of the cross, the identity of the love of God, the identity that Christ gives us through the renewing of the mind, through being in God's presence, and through us holding on to the truth and allowing the truth to transform our lives. Let me finish on not quite this verse. Let me finish on this verse. And hope does not put us to shame. If you've walked into this church with shame, hope does not put us to shame. No shame, no guilt, God's grace, God's forgiveness. You are loved. He is cheering from the bleachers and he loves you. 
Because God's love has what? Been poured into, poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See those things like, like those lies, defensiveness, pettiness, those compulsive things you do. It's like a bucket with a hole in and you do these things and you think they're going to fill you but you've got a hole in your bucket and you'll never fill that, um, that bucket of the soul. It's like those areas of perfectionism, of performance and control. It's like the more you try and fill it, the bigger the hole gets and the emptier you feel again and again. But the one thing that fills the bucket of our soul is God's love that has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I'll take an area of scripture. Sometimes I'll just sit for half an hour and allow and invite the Holy Spirit to pour His love into the bucket of my life. Sometimes I just take maybe the Ten Commandments and muse on them for an hour and allow them to do their work. Sometimes I live in John 15. The vine and the branches remain in me, remain, and I remain in you, and you bear much fruit. And I abide in Christ and allow His Spirit to come and to touch you, to touch me, to be present. I've had to learn to renew my mind. I've had to learn to spend time in the presence of God. I've had to learn to hold on to truth to bring transformation of character. And I've had to learn to break the family lies, to break the identity lies, to break those, those lies that drive us mad and to live in an identity where it doesn't matter because it was all settled at the cross. And although I might fail, although I might struggle, you know what, it's okay because Jesus loves me. Because you are forgiven. Because every lie the enemy has told you and every lie that society has told you can be broken at the foot of the cross of Jesus. Every lie. Every lie that has bound us. Every lie that holds us back. Every lie that is there can be counteracted with the truth of the work of the cross and the truth of Christ and the truth that comes. And boy, it, when you're free of the lies, you are free to love your children like you haven't loved them before. When you're free of your lies, you are free to love your, your spouse like never before. When you're free of the lies, you are free to minister without judgment. When you're free of the lies, you can love this broken world because you're rooted squarely and completely in the cross. And so as we step into this new series of Breathe, I want to teach you about margins. I want to teach you about living. Because I can truly breathe when I know who I am in Christ Jesus. 
I can relax. I can breathe. And I can find his grace in our, in our, through the, the gift of communion in our lives.